my, my microphone will fall out and you won't have to hear me at all. Mm, we won't notice. I didn't think you would. No, it's all right, though. Are we are we doing a non-classic here? Oh, it's a non-classic. Woohoo! Yeah. Classic. Classic. Classic-less? Yes, classic-less. Classless. Okay. Class, oh, well, you'll always. Yeah. Always classless. So in the advent of the classic era of hopnology, what it is, which what it shall be known when we look <laughs> back on the... When we write our memoirs, yeah. the, the classic times, uh, we still are very active on the Discord mm-hmm. and getting all kinds of questions. And of course, right now it is harvest time in North America. Oh, yes. So that has spurred up some questions and some screaming. Yes. Yep. And breakage and breakage. Creative farm engineering solutions and drying errors. Can you imagine all kinds of stuff that, you know, it's just par for the course. We hear it, you know, and our friends in the Southern Hemisphere go through this in February and March. So we get it twice a year. But yeah, there's some interesting things on on the Discord. I thought we'd just scroll through the Discord and because there's loads and loads and loads of like one-off topics that we could just talk about. And for those people who aren't on the Discord, we give them a little bit of a sneak peek on what's behind the wall. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And do so we we probably will skip the pictures of what I'm drinking section because that's really not it's not conducive to podcasting. Yeah. No, it's it's really not. Yeah. But it is it is probably the most frequent in board. Not probably. By like leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. I did not post a picture the other day because it made me sad. I took a picture of it of a four-pack at my local store called Drippy Popsicle. There's a couple of ways I could go with that. <laughs> I know. I know there are. It is a fruited smoothie sour with orange, vanilla, and marshmallow. Oh, God. And it made it made me sad. So, it sounds like something Lion's Tail would make. <laughs> Alex, if but you're they, listening. <laughs> but they might do it right. Um, I don't know. I... I it, it, and, it's the abomination brewing company. You know, just, of course it is. Of, co- of course it is. I mean, if you're if if you got a thing, you might as well lean into it. Drippy popsicle. And 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 the image on the front is some strange creature in one of those like eyes wide shut masks. Uh you just I don't know. I there's so many things wrong with this. Every everything wrong with brewing today. Drippy popsicle. Q E D and end of proof. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Little math joke there for yes, some of you. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, not what we were going to talk about today, but not. I just made me, when I brought up the pictures of things I'm drinking, I thought of something I was not drinking ever, 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 ever. Ever. Okay. What's been going on with the gang? Holy hell. I'm just sitting here scrolling <laughs> through. Doom scrolling. Yeah, just, just the harvesting drying processing one i'm back to march and like i said just said uh, a minute ago now i'm back into the southern hemisphere questions and the issues that they were going through for instance uh our friends in south africa you know brought up how to how's what's the best methodology for testing dry matter in the field like for determining harvest because down there they get paid now, this is a larger, let's think, commercial operation, right? But down there, they get paid by basically wet weight. If you harvest at the wrong time, you're going to have more wet weight than you should. And 
therefore get docked. And there's always this argument between, well, I tested them in my field and they were this much and you tested them in your your place over there and they were that much. And then you said you're going to dock me for them because they, they're out of spec or whatever. So how how do you measure it? How do you measure moisture content in the field like dead accurate? And that's a really, really good question. Be- yeah, because be- we know you hate moisture meters. Uh, well, I hate I hate moisture meters because they, well, they don't freaking work for hops. That's it. Period. End of story. You are not going to convince me because the data says otherwise. What does work, if you want, if you want dead on accurate, what you need is something called a moisture balance. And a moisture balance is a ultra fancy scale, right, uh, that you would use like to weigh your samples during the drying process. As Dan is reasonably famous for saying the difference between a scale and a balance is an extra decimal point in the price tag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when you add moisture balance, you move that decimal point again. It's very expensive. So you have a very, very sensitive balance that has a heat source in it. And really what it's doing is it's monitoring the weight of that cone or that sample as it's being dried down. And usually moisture balances are used in the pharmaceutical industry when they're drying down active ingredients, because usually most of this, most of the pharmaceuticals are made, well, they're all made in a liquid environment and to get them in a pill form, they need to be powder. So, (laughs) so, so in order to make sure that you're, that you have the exact right level of active ingredient in there, you do it by mass, do it by weight. And so you, and then you you monitor how fast it's drying down and and to what level it what it should weigh given how much water you know you put in the solution to begin with. <clears throat> Same thing goes with hops, where you could put a sample in there and put it under the heat source and watch it dry off and watch it and watch it and watch it until it stops changing weight. Hmm. Then you know you've dri- basically driven off the water and volatiles that are active in that temperature range because you can set the temperature as well right you don't different levels of volatility granted the lower the temperature the longer it's going to take to dry down this is not a fast process this takes hours and hours and hours so realize that when you're putting some cones if you get a hold of one of these and i had one for our lab uh got it at auction for like five or six hundred bucks um knew they're like eight grand. Wow. So <clears throat> very sensitive pieces of equipment, but that's how one would be like, here, here are my analytical data <laughs> from a moisture balance that was calibrated by a, yeah, that has a, has a certificate of calibration. What are you using <laughs> to, to say that, that they're not dry, right? So that's, that's one way to do that. The other way to do that is my question back to him. Um, this is our user, Mick. MacD down in South Africa was how confident are you in your sample size? Because what hops you take your sample from, like where in the plant, where in the field, how many samples are you taking? You taking one across 50 hectares? Are you taking, you know, (laughs) what is a good representative sample size to figure out what is my average moisture content? Because if you're going to harvest these things and they're going right to the dryer wholesaler, then you need to understand what your average moisture is across the crop. Sure. And 
that's a it's an interesting problem to to be in because it's like okay I can take multiple measures and average them but then when I get it all harvested so it's all off the bind and they're all masked and then they're going to take another aggregate sample well how is that sample being taken and where is it being taken from and how much variability can you expect to be in that I mean I haven't done the math I'm not the statistician about among us so I could imagine there being a lot of potential for variability. Huge, huge potential. And if that's like the methodology that you're, that's being used in order to determine how you're going to get paid, I think you got to like eat it. I I don't know. I don't know how much, how, how else to do that other than to be super confident that you got a reasonably representative sample so that the variance between what you measured and what they're going to measure is as small as possible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I hadn't really thought about that before, but you're right. There's so much variability there. I'm I'm curious from a a horticultural perspective, what what kind of variability would there be if you are going to take a sample off the vine, top of the plant, bottom of the plant, mm-hmm. middle of the plant? Like mm-hmm. even that is going to give you different results. Huge. So the the cones at the top of the plant are going to be more mature because the plant flowers from the top down. So moisture content and and he goes on to ask questions too about um how much does rain and mildew and and moisture in the mornings and whatnot affect cone moisture content Mm -hmm. very little and people that blows their minds because you have to keep in mind when cones are drying down on the vine because of they're going into their what we call their senescence phase right so their programmed cell death this part of ripening that moisture loss is physiological, right? It's not environmental. So the plant is literally not taking up water. So you can you can hose them down with water and you'll change the overall cone mass just because you've got droplets of water stuck in the, in the bracts and stuff, but you're not going to be adding a lot of moisture content to that cone just because it's rainy or humid outside. Now, once you get them dried down, let's say to 8 to 10%, if you leave them set, in a human environment, they're going to absorb moisture because you're drying, you're driving off moisture, water, uh, far below what's called the equilibrium point that they would normally just get by sitting around. So then you'll, you'll absorb some moisture, but when they're, when they're at 75%, 74, 73, 72 in that range, rain and dew and all that kind of stuff isn't going to affect it. But the cone maturity is going to affect it the most. And so cones at the top of the vine and the top of the canopy are going to be more mature and likely to be drier first. And can like wind and all that affect it? Yeah, you could have hot, dry wind, and that's going to work to like a hot, dry air dryer <laughs> to, to, dry, to dry the cones out, right? But they're going to, as soon as that lets up, they're going to equilibrate. To based to based on what the average environmental conditions are, um, so you could get a sample that's been like hot, dry wind for four days, and you're like, "Wow, these are super crispy," but that's just going to be on the outside because all that moisture, you know, most of the moisture is locked in the strig. Remember, so that takes the longest to dry down, and so you leave them there for a little while, they will equilibrate back to whatever the environmental conditions dictate. So how you're taking your sample in the field, where you're taking it from is very, very critical. And think about it like this. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to take it all from the top of the crop. 
so that I get the driest representation. But what happens if most of your crop that year is bearing in the middle? So then your number is going to tell you, your data are going to tell you that your crop is dry when it really isn't. Right. And likewise, the other way around, if you're top bearing and you're taking samples from the middle or the bottom, your stuff up top is going to be way too dry and way overripe. So really, you've got to know your crop and you got to get out there, take multiple samples from, you know, wherever that that yield bearing region is for you. And that could be different by variety, most likely is, and sure. get those numbers. And and when you start doing this, I mean, in, in earnest, <clears throat> really getting into taking samples and measuring all these things, it takes a lot of time. That's why that's why people want an easy button, right? They're like, can't I just stick a probe in these and figure out how dry they are? Because I got a lot of these samples to do. No, you can't. Uh, so you've got to continue uh, with your with your diligence in your field. There is another way to do water. That's a wet chemistry method, which involves a lot of organic solvents and displacing water and measuring that fraction. Blah 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 blah. But uh, that's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> so those are those are like people our friends out west and Roy Farms and Jason Peralt and all those folks that that's how they do it on you know a thousand acres yeah so that's a that's that was an interesting one because that's mm-hmm. a that's a an example of how different the industry is in different parts of the world where in obviously the northwest of the U.S. and in Europe it's everything all transactions are done on dry weight they're not you know are a kiln Ugh, kiln dry weight uh, and nothing is sold wet that way or brokered wet yeah yeah that's oh that's so interesting it's so to your point about being time consuming my goodness yeah they got all the samples and think if if you've got a moisture balance and you have to run all those samples through a moisture balance and each sample takes six hours to dry down the difference that you're introducing just because of the time, the time dilation between taking samples is going to introduce variability. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think a, a, a moisture balance is really uh, all that valuable at that point. Um, I just go with the microwave and get really good with it. <laughs> yep. And put it, put on a very long extension cord. Bring it right out in the you field you could it. do that. You absolutely could do that. Um, <laughs> you could do that. You could. I'm. I'm. I'm picturing a Ghostbusters like uniform with a microwave on on their back, and you've you've got your your poor intern there exactly. who's walking around next to you wearing the microwave. Like, okay, yep. turn around. Okay, Tibor, turn around. <laughs> stomp your leg three times for thirty seconds. It's Ten seconds to stomp. Here exactly. we go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put put a little put a little one of those little heel uh, generator things. You know, as you put, take on the airplane to charge up your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna need gonna need a big one of those. But anyway. That was a good one. I like that one a lot. Mm. And then you might expect, as you would, harvesting and drying takes a hiatus <laughs> until, <laughs> oh, right around now. And then it's a flurry of North American stuff. Yeah. Um, and folks uh, showing all their different processes and whatnot. And you know, our friend Mark at uh, Mountain View Hops, which we've, we've had on uh, the show a couple of times, um, He's getting to the point now, and, you know, because it's not like we didn't tell you so or anything, <laughs> where he sees the benefit in pelletizing now <laughs> and why one might want to do that because of the labor that's involved in packaging dry hops, like vacuum mm-hmm. packaging dry hops, and just how much it is to handle and the space they take up. And I'm like, hmm, 
It's too bad somebody couldn't have told you about that before. Oh. <laughs> Remember, quarter acre. I so. know. I know. I'm poking. I'm poking. I know you're I poking. I tease because I love. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the question of pelletizing. And then the first thing we think of generally as hop growers, because we are rugged individualists, is how much is it going to cost me to buy my own pelletizer? Can I change the subtitle of our podcast to Rugged Individualists? Sure. I sure. Yeah, I like sure. that. Yep. So my response to him was, why? Why would you spend that money and that headache for the volume of hops that you have? Send them to Chad <laughs> at the Bineyard <laughs> and have him do it. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I got all the shipping and I got blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, do the math. And so we do the math. And the answer is, why wouldn't I do that? Mm-hmm. Ex- well, exactly. You just wouldn't have done it last week with what was going on at Chad's place. Well, that, well, we'll get to we'll, that we'll get to that because we're we're still just in the harvesting, drying, processing thread. <laughs> We've got like nine other threads that we have mm-hmm. on the Discord. So, and then we do, you know, we start doing the math together, and what is the cost versus the benefit, and then what is the total right. cost of ownership of that decision of getting into that that world and I my question to Mark was yeah you could do it you're just looking at the cost that you're going to need to drop on the equipment but what does your state require you to do as far as food processing is concerned yeah he's like don't <laughs> let me look and then it was like and, yeah I'm out <laughs> and then the, the time in the bodies to perform that work and the maintenance versus the time in the bodies to to package right. and ship right that's the the total cost of ownership of that decision compared to the total benefit of owning that decision. And at that scale, it's just not there. It's just not worth it. You're way better off sending them off to get pelletized. Yeah, it's people are like, well, that's going to cost me money. It's going to cost you way less money to do that in, t- in time alone than to get into it yourself. Sure. Um, and as we were big proponents of when we were doing it, plus because we were doing it, uh, send them to us. Right. While we were doing it, let let the people that are scaled for it do it. Mm-hmm. And then what we realized is that we quickly outscaled most of the people that wanted to send hops to us because they wanted to send us 50 pounds. And I'm just right. like, yeah, no, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a that was an interesting conversation to to work sure. through. Um, if if I'm doing my no, this will come out after it happens. But I believe this coming weekend. Speaking of Mark, is his annual Oktoberfest party. Oh, is which, it? Which I I I only know because I really wanted to try to go this oh. year. <laughs> and and of course, guess where I'm going to be in the woods camping with the scouts. Of course you are. <laughs> Quote camping. That, that, oh yes, camping. Yeah. Maybe a little glamping. There might be some electricity involved. That's what I figured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For your microwave ovens. Yes. No, those are backpack, like I said. Oh, your backpacks. Those are all, oh, those are all these, are, these are for all of your Keurigs, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yes. I must have my my coffee, my mid-afternoon English tea. I've, I've got uh, – I have needs. Come on. Yes. Yes. Right along, not too far after that discussion, Chad from the Binaird was asking, does anybody have a tool or know where I can get a tool that, that growers use to make brewer's cuts out of their bales? Mm. And so for those of you who have enough volume to bale and are starting to get questions about you know like hop rubs and samples that you can send to brewers there's this thing called a brewer's cut which is a literally they cut into the side of a bale and they take like a core sample out of the compressed bale 
And this is doing a few things. I mean, A, it's getting you a sample, but then also they're looking at the bale compaction and all those sorts of things and the general relative quality of moisture, you know, in their hands. So Chad was asked, asked a good question. And, and I remember when I got to that point too, it was like, well, where do I get these things? You make them. <laughs> of course. They're, they're not like a thing you buy. I mean, there may, there may be ones out there. And if there is, please let me know because I've been looking for decades, but we ended up making them. Because we're like, how is this? And, and you know, we, we went and, and asked our larger grower friends out west. And some of them like, yeah, I just take this machete and I cut a cube out of the center. And then we've got these long pair of tongs that we reach in and grab the thing and pull it out. And other people use like a, what looks like a fancy like core drill. <laughs> That's, I was just going to say, isn't it what you used to do a, a door, you know, a yeah. door lock? <laughs> yeah. yeah. In many cases, what people find is that when they do get a, a, a tool like that in order to take a core, they're finding that their bales are unevenly compacted. Okay. Where they may be filling their baler twice and doing two big plunges as opposed to doing multiple smaller lifts, you know, so you're getting multiple, you're, you're, you're doing a more complete compaction because the, the hops do not like to compact like at all. And they resist compaction the more you try and squeeze them the more they resist being squeezed and so you're better off doing these things in small lifts one you know multiple multiple lifts like to for us we had a two foot by two foot by four foot bale and they were about 180 pounds 150 to 180 depending literally depending on the variety and ideally we know that if you go over 10 to 1 compression you start doing damage to lupulin glands so, you know, you want to be in that sweet spot. I found the sweet spot for us was around seven to one compaction. And so that's where I would be. And people would be like, well, that's how you get to your, your bale size. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, how do you get them chops in there? Cause my, you know, I can only get my bales to 80 pounds. I'm like, well, how many, how many compressions are you doing? How many lifts? Well, I'd fill up like twice. I'm like, oh no, no, no. We, we would fill ours up like six to eight times to get wow. that, to get that density. You know, you'd fill it up, squish it down, fill it up, squish it down, fill it up, squish it down. And that, that's just how you got it. And then when you take your core sample, you can see those strata in there. <laughs> um, and then you would also see how well that chunk stays together. Sure. And that get, tells you, informs you a bit about your mechanics of your baling process. Um, because the, the other thing about baling, one of the big things about baling, why, why do people do it? it yeah, it conserves space for storage, but it also squeezes air out. And so less oxygen in that oxidation. Yep. Yeah. So the denser it is, the more, the more, uh, or the less oxygen is going to be in there. And the denser it is, the more likely it's going to stay compressed once you take that cut. Mm -hmm. uh, and we made our, we made our own tool. We literally would, would cut into it with a gigantic serrated knife to cut out a, basically a cube shape and then reach in with these grabbers. They're like tongs that had long fork sections on each side. So they could reach in and like five or six inches and grab the sides of that cut and pull it out. Hmm. It's like a gigantic surgical extraction tool. <laughs> Was there a fight over who got to use it? It sounds like it would be something fun. <clears throat> uh, took the technique. Yeah. Because you would absolutely butcher it <laughs> if you <laughs> if you weren't careful. It's like, you know, you, you, you make this cut and then you got to wedge this tool in there and then you got to like either rock it just a little bit or twist it just a little bit and then pull it straight out. The first slice of pie is always a train wreck. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And then, you know, 
how many more times you want to cut into bales in order to get a sample just because you can't get a whole one to come out. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you are causing integrity issues with the bale when you do that. So, Of course, but, but this is, it's part of presentation. It, it absolutely is part of presentation. Huh. I, I think the more you try to squeeze, the more they resist being squeezed. Yeah, is is a t-shirt line, <laughs> and it also sounds like it should be a um, it should be a header on like a cat video website. Oh, that's that's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. Oh, I could just... be a, a whole category of cat videos around they resist being squeezed. So just to give you a, a sense for what like on this particular thread, how this picks up in harvesting and drying. I'm still scrolling, 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 scrolling. I I just hit August. <laughs> and I, I have, uh, I bet, 150 more posts between then and now. Mm-hmm. Just on different topics. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on talking about harvesting. But there's others. There, Oh, there are so many others. One, two, three. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven channels uh, on the Discord. Oh, we have so much going on there. It's yeah, great. it's different. So, what do we? I got other topics, which is just general weird stuff. Uh, yeah, unless you'd rather look at all of your friends' back to school pictures on Facebook. No, that's your other option. No, no, boring. Don't care Not about interested. my friends' kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> other topics. Did I tell you don't have any friends? Uh, business and market. Disease, weeds, pests, we did harvest and drying, pictures of what I'm drinking, uh, trellis design, water and nutrition, equipment and tools, and then we've got a couple of backyard brew farms, flavor and aroma, botanicals, and brewing basics. What would we like to discuss next? Ooh, boy, there's, there is so much. Um... The business and market one is usually, it's all over the board. It's anything about the beer industry, hops, you know, we throw stuff on there about barley. I throw stuff in there about um, supply chain oftentimes, just anything that impacts us. Yeah, I, and I like seeing the gang post pictures of when they've been cited in the news or been interviewed. That's always fun. We have a fair amount of that going on. Yes. Because, um, you know, Chad's had some write-ups and, and we've got one here for Tipsy Mule. So it's it, it's fun to, to have everyone share their, their little moments in, in the, not so little, moments in the spotlight. Because right. press is, is important. It is important. And we want to celebrate those things. Um, it's just all over the board, which is the whole idea. Um, it's this whatever news is out there. And then of course you people that love to just poke me, uh, to get me all worked up, uh, on various topics that they know I will just go off and rant about like terroir. Cause it's not a thing anyway. It's, 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 <laughs> it's mentioned in the latest new brewer article. I can't oh, wait to tell you. about. Oh, that. oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, so that's there. The, the disease weeds and pests has no seasonality. <laughs> it's, it's just all over. And, and the it, it's very much issue related, right? So it's usually, I got this thing. What is this thing? Uh, how do I deal with this thing? Recently, I would say recently, like in the past year or so, as our our hopnologists get more experience under their belts with their own farms and understand their disease cycles, has become very specific around. Hey, does anybody else use this compound? And what is your spray schedule? blah, 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 which is great because it tells me people are listening <laughs> uh, and and we're getting into some specifics or they'll say, this is how we spray or this is the, the rig that I'm using or this is the nozzle type and 
and what kind of coverage are you seeing? If you've got one like this, uh, it's really good. I like it quite a bit. Um, a lot of talks, as you would expect, during the season based on weed pressure. Like in the middle of summer, it's all about grass. It's like, how do I get rid of this freaking grass? A lot of it is about what is our, you know, any thoughts on planting cover crop and who would do that? So Justin up in uh, Saskatchewan area posted a, a question about that, about does anybody plant, you know, like oats or anything like that in their in their rows or in their yard after they've harvested to outcompete weeds, right? So you can just kind of like sure. turn the lights off <laughs> on on weed maintenance. And I, I had told him that I suppose you could, but as much field work as we are doing in our yard after harvest, I could just see it just getting completely destroyed. Mm, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, good point. I've never done it. I, I may be completely wrong, but that's why I never really bothered because we were out there and I'm usually just flat mowing everything at that point anyway. Um, or I'm out and then I'm out spot treating with with Roundup or something like that. But right. um, I've never done that sort of seasonal cover cropping that way. But uh, yeah, give it a shot. It might work for you. Yeah. Loads yep. of loads of questions. You know, Chad had another one about using certain compounds to control alternaria. Um, so alternaria is a fungal disease that causes cone discoloration, usually near harvest. Uh, causes these reddish brown discoloration of the cones. Mm -hmm. And uh, there really isn't a lot labeled for for alternaria. And so we're talking about, well, has anyone ever used this compound? Has anyone ever used that compound? And there may be some discussions about off-label uses here. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a lot of good back and forth about the, yeah, you might try that. Let us know how it works. But what about this? Or aren't you worried about this or that? And one of the question, one of the things I brought up is, you know what, that probably will work from an active ingredient standpoint. But what is your pre-harvesting role? Because this alternary is usually happening close to harvest. And a lot of these compounds that we could spray, they have a really long PHI. And so I like, oh, crap, not only am I spraying off label, I'm going to have residue. Yeah. And so you're like, ah, crap. <laughs> Which is why, like, alternarias can be a problem because it so, happens so close to harvest, there's very little one can spray to, to control it. So, you know, you're down to things like coppers and whatnot. But even then, brewers don't like to see copper on their hops because it messes up the yeast metabolism in the brew house. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, pray for the dryish weather during harvest time dryish dryish yeah and for us it was never going to be dryish because it was like you know I, I thought we ought to call our hop yard cloud valley hops because it's constantly foggy in the morning like to the point where you can't see the road during harvest season and it's just the the hops are just dripping in water all night and so alternaria was always a problem for us and we just ended up needing to live with it because no matter what i did to try and control it i couldn't couldn't get them, you know, emerald green and spotless like you see in those fake pictures, you know, fake news. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, your environment is what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. So loads of good stuff there. Uh, water and nutrition. 
Yeah, I, you know, I was just looking at that too, and the, the last thing in there, Justin in, in August put in, it's wonderful when you see folks keeping track of their data. Yep. And he had a, he's got, you know, what is it, eight years of growing degree days mm -hmm. um, charted for his farm just to to make sure he knows what to expect and if things are off kilter. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to see. It, it's it, it's great. This channel, I think more than others, the data filled channel. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. It's it's loads of this is what my tissue test said. This is what my soil test said. This is this is what the history of those tests say, and this is how what it looks like over the growing period, and um, which backs up what you just said, which is showing us the historical data. People are actually taking data, and then I think it's probably the the most sciencey science on this on this channel because mm -hmm. it's usually this is what I'm seeing. Why am I seeing it? And then we talk a lot about plant physiology. Um, and a lot of what we see here, I mean, Justin posted a good one. He's like, I was at a farm helping them uh, harvest. And they have these enormous cones, right? And his are, are smaller, right? Even if it's the same variety, it's like, he asks me, he's like, so bird timing would basically mean there's an optimal time when, it, it declines before and after the date in terms of cone filling, right? And so we start to get into the talking about the why behind the things that we're observing. Um, and it gets very, very sciencey science here, where we start to put together all of these various topics we've talked about in this podcast over the years to say this because of this, because of this, and this, and this, and this, all these together are probably why you're seeing this. Let me give you a good example. So a very gracious uh, hop grower in New Zealand, Brent from Mac Hops, uh, large grower down there. He's actually, if you follow on Instagram, he's over in Germany and Belgium right now for the hop harvest, and he's having a good old time. Uh, Mac Hops. And he sent me a lovely note a couple of weeks ago via Instagram saying how much he loves our podcast and saying uh, things like, you guys have a, a way of explaining things that we've known for a few generations, but didn't know why. <laughs> I'm like, perfect, it's working. <laughs> but he mentioned a couple of things to me. He's just back and forth about their season this year. And he's like, I can't believe how much, how cloudy it's been, blah, 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 blah. I said, I bet your alphas were down by like 30 to 40%. And he pulled up his data and he sent them to him. It was like, wham, bam, right on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, see, it's not magic. <laughs> and so then we start talking about that. I'm like, I bet your alphas are down, but your betas weren't. Yep, exactly. My betas look elevated. I'm like, they're not, betas aren't elevated. They're normal. The alpha's down because it takes UV light to catalyze that beta to alpha reaction. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And then we start talking about water and cone size. And he's showing me all of his irrigation plots. And, and the data he takes, he takes like, He's got three levels of moisture meters in the soil and three levels of of wind speed anemometers in his hop yard to calculate his evapotranspiration. Hmm. And he's a pro grower. <laughs> These yeah. things are important. And when you're in drought scenarios, you need to know how much water you're, you're doing. So we're looking at his evapotranspiration rates and, and whatnot, trying to figure out maybe why he was seeing some of the things he saw that year. So... That was excellent. It was good to know that that even even the big the big boys and girls are are finding things for us to to help them out with. So I'm hoping to get Brent on here um, when he's done with his European travels. Oh, that would be great. Yeah.
So yeah, that's what that's what water and nutrition looks like. Loads of stuff on here about soil levels. Like uh, again, Justin. Justin's very uh, at JGL Farms is very attentive to his data, and we start talking about why in the hell can I not get my calcium level up in my soil? Right, everything I try, I just can't do it, and. And what it comes down to is something like, well, show me the entire soil profile, like the soil chemistry profile. And what you see is that your soil pH is so high, all the calcium you're putting on there is getting bound up as an insoluble form. So not all the calcium, but a good part of it. Mm -hmm. So you can keep putting calcium on the soil. And because of, you know, it's so alkaline, it's going to turn into chalk and not be available for the plant. So the calcium soil test is showing you available calcium, not bound calcium, ask for bound calcium. And then that's like off the charts, right? <laughs> like, well, there you go. What do you know? Now you know that it's not going to do you a damn bit of good to put more calcium on the soil. You're going to have to get into your plant through foliar application. So what does that look like? And how much do we need to apply foliarly in order to show positive benefits to your plant? Right. And that that kind of dialogue changes you know it's like oh for next season i'm totally changing my my nutrient management plan based on what we now know over x number of years of playing with the soil this is the way it is i know i'm not likely to change it unless i drop my soil ph down to like six and a half and when you're starting at eight eight and a half that is not feasible <laughs> so uh we need to change our our production methodologies Yep. And, and one of the best things about this and with any message board really is it's, it's never a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I mean, you, you talk about changing the application plan and four other people chime in with what they've been doing. Yep. Yep. We see that often. It's interesting because based on, on the hopnologists and sort of the things that they're paying attention to really what, not, not what they're paying attention to, but where their mind space is. Right. So the things that they're sort of preternaturally disposed to, um, topic-wise, are the ones that they're the most vocal about, right? And, and like, engaged with in the conversation, and then, like, they don't hardly say anything on some of the other channels. Um, it's totally fine. That, that's all right. But you just kind of sort of get this feeling for for the hopnologists and where their headspace is. Yeah, it's 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 fun to see. I, I think we have to get into what happened to Chad. Oh, right. So to, to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so back to harvesting and drying. <laughs> <laughs> apparently my absence on the discord channel is immediately missed and i mean that should be a surprise to no one really well, well this was a bit of a crisis situation <laughs> <laughs> so this this required so this required some quick action so yeah um i think we had a whole episode when on called like one ship breaks or something like that. Yeah. And it yeah. always happens during harvest. And how do you, how do you pivot? And no matter what, you can't have a spare part for everything on the shelf. You just don't. And because a lot of the stuff is custom fabricated and Chad, literally the, the, the bearings fell off his machine. Um, or the, so to speak, one, one of his main, uh, drive rollers for one of his sorting belts just took a dump. <laughs> yep. catastrophic it, failure as he described it, it it was a catastrophic failure yes just metal fatigue and uh when that stuff goes down and the machine's going at speed uh things break so you have secondary and tertiary casualties <laughs> oh, right you know and in his case he's got he's got a 
a drum, uh, this this roller that catastrophically failed from metal fatigue, which then obviously came out of its mounting. And so you got this heavy metal thing and this belt that's spinning, and then it proceeds to mangle the belt and break a bunch of wooden cleats that are on the belt. And then now what do you do? It's like it's not like you can run without this thing. And this is a this is a you just don't go buy one of these things, right? right. And it's not something one would expect to to be to have an extra one laying around of because these are these are not wear parts. <laughs> these are these are functional uh, structural members, right? So so it was uh, quite a bit of holy hell, guys. What do I do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Holy holy hell! And it just so happens during that time frame, I got a new phone. I had not realized that Discord was not sending me notifications of new posts. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. And so, excuse me, this is all happening on 8.30. And literally, there's one post is like, where's James? <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he reached out to me directly and said, is, is James okay? Because this is the kind of thing he'd be all over. And of course, it happens on a Saturday morning. Of course it does. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you do? You, you fabric cobble the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you do to get through the season. And that's what Chad did. And he's posting pictures of what he did. And I couldn't have done a better job. It's exactly what I would have done. And then once we're past the panic, we start talking about, well, what's what is what's the fix? Right. right. Oh, and I misspoke. This was a Tuesday. I had the wrong Tuesday. month in front oh, of me. Okay. But it was so it was it wasn't as bad as it happening on a Saturday morning. But yeah. he, he immediately shoots a bunch of pictures and he's like, um, anyone? Bueller? Yeah, right. How are we gonna <laughs> do? Yep. And and folks started jumping in. Yep. Um with with thoughts and you know, hey, I have something. I can ship it to you. It'll take two days. Um, but he he then posted a picture. You know, here is my farm hack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he got it working. That's exactly what I would have done. Yeah, you know, cut that old. Get your what I say. My two favorite tools, the essential tools in the in the hop yard, is an angle grinder and a wire welder. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, you can pretty much fix anything. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. Um, cut off the old section, fabric cobbled a new end cap with a, a axle stud sticking off one end. And does it spin? Yep. Is it going to eat itself? Nope. Get her back up and running. It ain't pretty, but she'll work once the season's through and we have a chance to think more clearly how what's the most reasonable repair. And that's a great real-world scenario. It happens to all of us. Oh, and sure. And these are the things that you you can't plan for, but you have to plan that something like this is going to happen. So don't be – I shouldn't say plan. Don't be surprised. And yeah. it's all about how you react to it. And, you know, it's one thing if you're like, oh, yeah, I lost some picking fingers and I have to have a bunch of those here because they're kind of disposable. It's another thing to say the sprocket sheared in half. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, everything has stopped. And to your point earlier that when – when there's a failure that big, there are secondary and tertiary failures that unfortunately sometimes you don't know about until you fix the first one and you try to start it up again. Yep. And that's that's where your your network comes in. It's like, where can I get one of these? Because this is not an off-the-shelf part. Now, granted, you're not necessarily going to be able to get it at the drop of a hat, but when you've got a week or two, where do you go, right? Mm-hmm. And who have, who have people used in the past? And that's you start to dip into that network of of folks just on the discord, but then who they know in other industries and where you could go to get these things made. And uh, like people you wouldn't maybe have thought of because they're not going to pop up as 
Wolf Harvester Belt Replacement Company. <laughs> They're going to pop up as, what do you mean you got your belts made out of tent and awning fabricator? I'm like, yeah, they're just vinyl coated canvas in a loop. They can make those for you. Oh, well, I have one of those here. Perfect. There you go. Oh, and he was, he was back up and running within two days, more yep. or less. Yep. More or less. And that happens. Oh. And sometimes you're, 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 you eat it in crop damage. Sometimes you eat it and usually eat it in lack of sleep. Uh, but sure. it builds such character. Oh, all, all your labor standing around, getting paid, doing nothing. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, yeah, if you're not on the Discord, there's some good stuff on there. It's worth it. You're missing a lot of fun. Yep. Including maps of the drunkest counties. Yes. Which, you know, Alistair posted, and it's what, 47 of them are in Wisconsin? Yes. I think? Yeah. Of, of, if you read the data, though, if you look at the legend on the map, it says of the counties with the highest rate of binge drinking. So there's two whammies there. <laughs> there. There are. So there are. Of the binge drinking counties, Wisconsin has the highest levels of drunkenness. <laughs> hmm. Yes. Yes. Is, is that a win? Are you going to call that a win? Really? Well, as you said, Lewis Black said we're professionals. So... Did I tell you to friend? <laughs> <laughs>